We've already been through it, man. I'm just going to start to record. We're just going to talk like we normally do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's family over here. Exactly. The infamous Jeremy Winslow. Now, Jeremy, last time we spoke, I remember you just coming over to Kotaku and, you know, being one of the writers. Now, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, you posted your 100th article. Oh, shit. No, I didn't, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. You posted your 100th article. I want to say it was today. Um, So congrats on that, man. I want to congratulate you. 100 articles. Uh, Thank you so much. Huge accomplishment. Uh, So how's it been? The 100 articles. How has the journey been from when we spoke? I think it was back last year in like September, October, sometime around Mm -hmm. then. But how has it been? How's the journey been? You know, Kotaku.com is the most stressful and exciting newsroom that I've been in in my editorial uh, experience so far. Things happen so fast. Um, There's always emails that we're getting with various pitches. We've definitely been getting a lot more stuff for NFTs, which is hilarious. so you know it's exciting because we're doing we're doing games coverage, but from a different different point of view, a different perspective. Um, yeah. We're looking at different types of stories, but then it's also stressful because of how quickly news sometimes happens, like the Activision Blizzard Microsoft acquisition that was really wild. So much was happening at that time, and and so many stories that we were trying to churn out from that one bit of news so it's been good uh you know a a good up down but more up than down (laughs) all right so if you had to say harder or easier are things getting easier or things getting a little bit harder for you uh i feel like it's getting a little bit harder Uh, and i only say that because my editors are tough you know they they push me they they are i don't want to say cutthroat but they're definitely stern they're um, way more knowledgeable than I am. So they're definitely forcing me to strive to be better. So it's it's harder in insofar as it's a personality-driven website. So you have to sort of let go and let loose to really let yourself shine, which is what they want. But it's so hard when you come from a straight news background like i do like trying to break free of the shackles is difficult now is this something you see yourself doing like hey i know you said it's getting harder do you see yourself doing this for kotaku five ten years 20 years what is the future way 20 years i don't know about that but (laughs) (laughs) i'm with you you. don't have me if they'll have me for 20 years, that'll be cool. But, you know, I think it really just depends on the the space. Um, it depends on whether or not the venture capitalists over at Go Media uh, management, how they run the website uh, or and just the suite of websites that it owns, Go Media. And also, I think it depends on games themselves, you know, because, of course, I do this for the games. I do this to play the games, to write about the games, to engage in the culture. So I think as long as there's something interesting happening, whether that be some sort of game to play or um, some sort of story to tell, then I'll be here for as long as possible. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I'm the same way, man. As long as there's a story, something that needs to be said, a message that needs to get put out, I'm here. So now... So many articles, so much to talk about, Jeremy. I don't even know where to start. I'm going to start with your 100th article. I know I caught you off guard, but I be, I keep tabs. Okay, I'm watching the 100th, you were talking about the Twitch YouTube star. Is it XQC? Is that how you pronounce it? XQC, yeah. At least that's how I understand it, right? Like just reading it phonetically as letters, XQC. Exactly. Okay. So I read through the article and you know what? I I did want to talk to you about it because it's something that's been trending the entire 2021. Mm -hmm. Bullying, harassment, you know, people are going through hate raids. Even large streamers like Pokimane are just 
going through mental issues, dealing mm-hmm. with hate rage. As much as we try to say, oh, you're making tons of money, shouldn't matter. She's still going to deal with some type of mental stress from it. So just first, before I go more into the piece, um, how has that been for you through writing these articles and seeing a lot of the harassment and bullying? Does it seem to be going in a more toxic direction? Yeah. Or are we making some leeway in a better direction? Um, I mean, I feel like it's kind of obvious, right? Like, I, it's obvious that things are more toxic. And I want to say, oh, we're we're moving in a more positive direction. Um, for example, I wrote a blog about Ninja, the Pokemon and Ninja situation, that incident where uh, Gideon had hate rated Pokemon's uh, Twitch, you know, earlier this month, um, and how that presented some sort of legal, some some legality issues between. Pokemon and Ninja. And I bring that up because Twitch ended up permanently banning Gideon, who was a first-time offender for the act of hate rating. I think that is a smart move on Twitch's part. It sucks seeing, you know, my my fellow black person being kicked off of a platform yet again. <laughs> like I, I'm not I'm not too happy about that. But I I don't think it matters when it comes to hate and harassment, whether black, white, blue, purple, hate is hate. And with Gideon hate rating Pokemon, whether it was his first time or 100th time, I think in order to send a strong message to prevent that behavior, Twitch needs to stay, take more, uh, they need to take stronger stances to punish those that are actively engaging. Oh, wow, I'm frozen. That's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you froze for a second, but you started moving again. You, you were. Oh, okay. Okay. That's really weird. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Twitch needs to take stronger steps to mitigating this, this behavior. So it's definitely getting worse. There are some positive movements. Gideon getting permanently banned. That sends a strong message. There are new chat tools to, uh, have it so that only certain followers that have two-factor authentication with a verified email address and phone number can engage in the chat itself. So there's that too. But for some reason, people love, I think it's the anonymity of it. People just love hopping online and just saying shit, being Mm -hmm. dicks, just saying shit. Yeah. No, I I think you're right there. It seems like it's getting more and more toxic to me myself. But I want to ask you, because you're in there, you're in the field. Um, the article that you talked about with XQC was specifically people being toxic because, oh, I'm playing Grand Theft Auto role plays now. Yeah. And people are literally, you get a, a subculture of your own culture that you've grown mm-hmm. that doesn't like to watch you play it. So you get these fan pages, everything receiving harassment. So let me ask you. This is to clarify for everybody. If anybody got any questions, when is online harassment or when is it considered online harassment? When does it go too far? I think the moment you start assailing someone for their immutable facts, um, that when it that's when it veers into harassment. I think when it's a repeat activity, say someone popping into a Twitch stream or, you know, several hundred bots flooding a, a Twitch stream with L plus ratio, for example. That is a form of harassment because you're not giving the person on the other on the receiving end the room to leave the situation or the the space to moderate what's happening in their own cultivated um, bubble, so to speak. So if you it I mean, you know, I think of it as like poking a bear, right? Like if you if you go and, and you poke a bear once, would that be considered harassment? Maybe not. But if you go and continuously poke a bear, if if you know that you're disrupting the bear, if you if this behavior you know is going to elicit a hostile response from the bear, then I feel like that's harassment. Because harassment at the end of the day is intentional. 
It's intentional. There, there's no, there's no uh, ifs, ands, or buts about it. So for me, it's, I, I don't, it, it goes too far, like, from not even going zero to 60. It's like zero to one. That's too far. <laughs> now, with XQC, I know, very popular streamer, but some people have been critical of like, hey, XQC is also sometimes could be promoting the behavior. So let yeah. me ask you, is there any point where streamers should be held accountable? All the time. And I think streamers should be held accountable, especially because they have large platforms like like 9.5 or 9.9 million Twitch followers or something ridiculous. So having that many people watching you, whether that's one time or concurrently, because I was hopping in a couple of his streams and there have been a few hundred thousand people watching him at one time. So I think these large Twitch streamers, not that they need to have a separate rule book that's different from us because that creates a class, you know, that, that's a classist structure and we don't want to delineate um individuals like that even though that's what we do already i i just think twitch needs to set strict rules and say you know as a streamer you can't do xyz as a viewer you also can't do xyz and then sort of follow that consistently that's i think the real problem is it Mm. twitch doesn't find its terms it's you know Twitch doesn't find people violating its terms of service across the board. There seems to be selective cases where TOS is broken for certain streamers and not for others. Mm. Do you think Twitch is picking up on that? Do you think they're getting more strict, taking charge, and not showing as much favoritism as it has shown in the past? I was talking to a smaller streamer just yesterday, and their answer would be no. So... I'm I'm gonna think I'm gonna probably say the same because whenever you go to Twitch, it's always promoting b- much bigger, larger channels. Maybe not a Ninja or a Pokemon or an Amaranth or a uh, Hasanabi or something, but it's definitely promoting streamers that have you know hundreds of thousands of followers already. So I don't think Twitch considers the full width the full breadth of people on its platform that's yeah i don't think that's the case it'll listen but listening and acting are different things Mm. um you posted an article about disguise toast i believe okay and disguise toast was banned from twitch for the whole tv metal which by the way, it's taking Twitch by storm. Apparently, everybody loves this TV meta, being able to watch your favorite anime, whatever it is, and lay some commentary down while you got your audience there watching. This apparently has posed a problem because mm-hmm. Pokemon and Disguise Toast and there are some others that you mentioned are probably smaller that when they face a ban, probably can't come back from it. Yeah. Do you see this TV meta as being... A good thing that's going to last long term, or is this something where we might see rule changes from Twitch? I definitely think it's something that's going to stick around for a while, and I also think that it'll create a new rule set for Twitch. At least that's my expectation, right? That's my hope, and I hope that what ends up happening is Twitch allows for copyright to be applied in different ways not to be so heavy-handed with its you know very uh stringent use of copyright law i personally don't see what's wrong with having an audience and watching death note with them like that's a that's a bomb ass anime i'd love to have you know a hundred thousand people on a stream just watching death note with me and just like shooting the shit talking about death note talking about light and who the best character is and how dumb some of light's moves or uh, uh some of his actions are because they really are questionable um i don't see the problem with that but of course it's all copyrighted so i think these i think what streamers are doing is dumb but i don't 
I don't see the problem and I can understand why they're doing it because it's generating a lot of views. People are stuck at home. That's what they want to do. You know, they don't always want to play games and they certainly don't always want to watch someone else play games. Maybe they just want to have this communal experience with people, kind of like going into a movie theater. But we can't go into a theater because of the pandemic. So it's it's a double-edged sword. I I think the TV meta is cool. I imagine it'll be a be around for as long as it keeps generating eyeballs and money for both the popular streamers and Twitch itself, but I definitely think there are going to be some lawsuits happening in the near future for sure. Mm. And I know Pokey was one that when she was bad, I think it wasn't long, maybe 24 or 48 hours, but Disguise Toast was not sure if it's shortened, but at the time it was possibly a month. Do yeah. you think Twitch is kind of separating or showing favoritism in these TV meta situations? I think so. Oddly enough, um, Disguised Toast was only banned for two days. So that that was a really quick, strange okay. turn of events when at first we were thinking it was going to be a month. But there seems to be some favoritism between how Twitch treats even the top streamers. But even then, I'm not going to say that Twitch sides with the women streamers on its platform because I think we ran a story on Kotaku.com about how only 3% of the top streamers are women. And you have to go like all the way down the, the that leaked list that came out in, I want to yeah. say it was like November, I think. You're right. You're um, right. You'd have to go down that list to see like amaranth or pokimane like pokimane is barely making more money than ninja but even pokimane doesn't make nearly as much as xqc for example i agree i, I mean you spot on with that and women i know have tried for many many months to get things changed with twitch they feel like their voice is not being heard i remember when the hot tub meta First dropped mm -hmm. a lot of these women's finally feeling empowered to step into Twitch. Finally, I could offer something, you know, maybe I could just <laughs> give some commentary in my body in a hot tub. And then we started seeing the rules come for Twitch. We started seeing some of the other big Twitch streamers actually not liking it because they feel like, hey, it's not fair. I'm on here playing. I might be the best Fortnite player, the best Call of Duty player. Whereas this person just adding commentary with some nice visuals. So I completely <laughs> understand about these women. I think women are always trying to find a niche. And you're right. This market is predominantly men. So they're always carving a niche. And when they seem to find something that works, here comes the man to say, hey, yep. hold on. It shouldn't work like this. It needs to work like that. So I could totally relate to that. Now, Jeremy, this is something I've been waiting to talk to you. NFTs, man. Oh, oh my man. Goodness. NFTs. Now. I ain't going to go too deep. I don't know too much about NFTs, okay? I know a little bit. Non-fungible token, okay, pretty much is your representative to say, hey, I have a license to this digital asset, whether it be a piece yep. of art, music, uh, whatever it may be. So with NFTs, there has been a vitriol hatred. I mean, every company that steps forward, whether it's Ubisoft or, you know, Microsoft jumping into it, Facebook, we want to be part of the metaverse. We want to have NFTs out there. Do you see NFTs having any good value? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Trick question. See, I got you there. I got you. Okay. I knew I was... I knew it was uh, any good value into them. There we go. Any good value. Um, you can say you own something. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess that's like the best thing that I can. That's honestly the best thing I can. I think I can come up with. You can say you own something, but even then, um, do you actually own it? Like, do you do you legitimately own it? Because yeah, you can say that you have the license, you have the, uh, you you have the key. You know, I like to think of it as having the the deed to a house. So yeah, I have I have the deed to the house. But um, in the case of the deed, I actually own the house. 
like I can walk into the house and say, "This is my house. All y'all in here gotta leave. This is my this is my house. Like I have the deed right here. This is mine." But with an NFT, I can't say that I own the NFT because you can just right click and save the NFT to your desktop and like now I have the NFT. Do I own it? I guess if you want to be legitimate and get into law, then no, I don't own it legally. But what's stopping me from just right clicking it? Like what like what what mechanism is preventing me from just going to Google and being like bored ape right click? I like that one right click and then i have it like it's it's on my phone i'm just looking at it like it's right there i don't see yeah i just don't i don't get them okay now the reason i ask that is because with the metaverse which we have many companies already dumping millions if not billions into the metaverse for what they mm -hmm. believe is going to be the future to come um nfts has been very profitable somewhat of a balloon Okay, a lot of people want to say Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, you know, and eventually it's going to go. So let me ask for the artists, because I think really the only thing I thought of was maybe artists doing yep. digital artwork and not being able to have a license to their digital artwork. Um, could we possibly see it? I'm going to throw this out there. Being that this metaverse is being created, is it possible, okay, Jeremy, that nfts could possibly pave the way for maybe black individuals be more of the metaverse and and before i you know i want to go off here i want to want you to stay with me okay we talked last time about creating a character and i think the characters uh we talked about with the hair dudes pretty much either got like what you or i got they got a little mini afro they got a baldy and we don't <laughs> have that, right yeah so, exactly would it be possible, and we don't necessarily have to use NFTs, but can you see black individuals with this new metaverse possibly creating something, whether it's an NFT or just some digital asset that's created by black individuals to be a strong part of this metaverse? And do you see this metaverse even being successful? Is this something that we're just hearing about, or is it a real thing? Um, hmm. Okay, so... I'll say, rewinding real quick, that the other, I guess, one positive about the NFT is that you pay the artist. You're supporting the artist. So pushing that forward to your question, can – will the will, – will, the, will Metaverse and NFTs give rise to black artists in the digital space? It's possible, and I say it's possible because – when you buy an NFT, you're, you know, paying that artist directly for their work on that NFT. So with that in mind, you know, essentially the NFT is a kind of free market for art and artists. You don't have to go through legitimate or I, I don't want to say legitimate as if selling online isn't legit but you know you don't have to go through these very professional um structured avenues of a museum or an art curator to get your pieces sold you can hop onto the metaverse as an indie artist and sell an nft will they be accessible though no and i say that because what working class black person has 1,700, 3,900, 69,000, 6.9 million dollars to just drop on a random ass NFT that you don't even physically own. Like you, do, you can't do anything with it in the real tangible world. You put on a virtual headset and then what? You're staring at it in this virtual metaverse? Seems kind of silly. <laughs> now, there was an article posted on Kotaku, and it was about, I think it's Decentraland, okay? And Decentraland, one of the metaverses, and I'm not going to lie, looked horrible. 
Okay. But we've seen <laughs> everybody wearing their NFT. And at this point, if you're creating a character and I'm paying for each digital asset, yes, I'm going to be wearing shades, also a Cyclops visor with the helmet on top of it. <laughs> I'm paying Go for it. Go all right? out. You know, yeah. Just yeah, throw it all on there. And that's what I'm seeing. Do we see models like those metaverses? Can you see models like that being successful? Is this where the future's really headed? Or are we moving too fast? I kind of feel like it's all a profit engine. And that's all it is. I feel like Silicon Valley and techno bros and crypto bros, all they want to do is distract us in the most capitalistic, pure, plutocratic way possible so that they can extract as much money out of us i don't see it as you know mark zuckerberg out here is calling the metaverse like a new place for us to connect and all this stuff and yeah maybe um fortnite is very much that you can you can essentially call fortnite a proto metaverse you can call roblox a proto minecraft a proto metaverse but all it is is to stifle and you know not to get too political but really that's what i think it is i think it's to stifle political action it's very much a dystopian ready player one-esque avatar so that you don't pay attention to what happens in the real world because the real world is going to shit go hop into this metaverse where you can look different be different. Act different. You've got this NFT that you spent $1.4 million on. Go enjoy that. Like, Go do that while continuing to ignore the burgeoning crisis over in Ukraine. Ignore the fact that that might start a World War III or something. Ignore the fact that you know we've got climate change that's – I mean I'm sitting here in like three feet of snow right now. Like, yeah, I'm actually, <laughs> like, it is snowing. I've, I've got a snow warning out here in New York. So ignore all of that. Just go into the metaverse. I feel like it's just a another way to placate and to sort of um, dissolve the heightened political activity that has been burgeoning since 2016. Yeah, yeah. I will say, uh, and I know, like you mentioned, I don't want to get political, but it does seem like everything always falls back to politics. It does, yeah. Everything's connected to politics. It it does, especially in this situation when you said that so much money being just put into the metaverse. I almost feel like, like you said, it is to distract us. Now, one thing I believe is I believe people, majority, are sheep. Okay, so which Mm -hmm. means you're right. You nailed it. They want to get away. So they think of, hey, going into this metaverse where maybe I'm afraid to speak out in public, but I'm an excellent comedian. Now I can go into this VR world and I could, you know, I don't have to show who I really am, but I could still stand up on stage. I could still grab the mic. I could still be looking at the crowd and still tell my jokes. And I might be famous here, but not famous in real life. Do Uh you see a metaverse like that? dangerous for humans in the end i think it could be and i i think it could be because again it's stifling political activity and so we're allowing these ghouls to hop into office that only care about themselves and their other bourgeois class friends to you know continue to rip money out of working class people out of poor people um while ravaging the environment. I mean, that's what NFTs do. They, they, they literally destroy our environment. So I feel like it's dangerous for humans in that regard. But I also feel like they're, it's a double-edged sword with this point because it's a positive for social interactive or interactions, but I think it could be a negative for actual existence. Right, because you're living in a virtual reality. I think of isekais, right? I think of Sword Art Online or Log Horizon or, um, yeah, even Ready Player One, where you hop into a virtual world and you're living as that. Uh, maybe you give yourself a different persona 
you're acting different you're being different you're what you're a totally different person online and we see this now with the way we behave on reddit or twitter uh twitch or whatever when we don't have to show our faces uh the whole vtuber thing is blowing up right mm -hmm. so you're you're engaging in this online persona that's vastly different from who you exist in the real world and so maybe there's this dis this disconnect this dissonance between the real you and the online you which then creates maybe a false sense of um expectations or a false real false reality because you don't know maybe with how immersive metaverse becomes you don't you can't separate what is real and what is meta so yeah it's it's dangerous there but then it's positive because like you were saying it could give people new opportunities disabled folks could be comedians you know in ways that they maybe can't right now because comedic stages aren't uh wheelchair accessible for example or they're not um you know uh, uh cane accessible or something to that effect it could give people from around the world the opportunity to pursue a life that they wouldn't necessarily have otherwise maybe you can find love mm -hmm. in the metaverse who knows and and that love then blossoms into a real thing i'm not going to put it past anyone we've seen films like that one of my favorites is her um yeah. with joaquin yeah. phoenix and while that's not metaverse he does fall in love with an ai which is essentially siri and again that could be construed as a sort of augmented reality proto metaverse type vibe too so the, it's it's really complicated when you talk about how vr could impact us as people and as social beings mm -hmm. uh, you you hit that one on the t i think it's really going to change the future i do believe so i think just vr and ar however we implement it into our lives hopefully it's not in a bad way but you're right i just always feels like capitalism rules and it's yep. all about the dollar and yep. we could literally make a dollar off of every human in this world, no matter what it takes, we'll do it. So I'm kind of with you on that one. Now, a couple other things. I ain't going to hold up. You know, we can go all day. Okay. Oh, yeah. I got all the time. No I, worries. I think I took a little time extra. Okay, today. <laughs> so E3 2022. Okay. Yes. Me, myself, part of E3 2021. Praying. I'm like, please, please let me go to L.A. Let me go to L.A. And they decide to do it online again. Now, at first, I was kind of, oh, man, I can't go to L.A. But I did see another event that happened not that long ago, but a lot of people contracted the Omicron virus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think E3 has been smart to just stay away from holding any in-person events while this whole thing is being figured out? Or do you think they could be hurting themselves in the long run by running these digital events. I think the only way E3 will hurt itself with these digital events is if it continues to run them like they did, what, last year? Oh, or yes. maybe 2020. One of those two years was awful. Like, boring presentations, lots of uh, talking and, and segues that weren't funny, and game announcements that just weren't exciting games that we haven't even seen like i feel like there are at least five games and i can't think of them off the top of my head but i have no doubt that if i google i could easily find five games that showed up last year and just gone like in the blink of an eye at the cover of night no not heard of ever again so that's the only way they'll hurt themselves, is if they continue to run terrible, slow, slogging <laughs> events that are just a chore to get through. But I think it is smart to avoid doing in-person events for the time being, just with the ever-evolving nature of the pandemic, the amount of people that were at the NYU anime um, event. Mm, or, I, I think that, that that's what it was. No, um right. I had coworkers that were there that 
I don't know if they were exposed, but I know that a lot of people at that event were exposed. Um, there was that music festival that we blogged about on Kotaku that I can't think of right now that also it had this like room. It was called the come over room or something like that. Really ridiculous. Yeah. But that <laughs> event that. <laughs> also had tons of attendees who contracted the virus. So it's just not smart. You know, we, right. we see that this Omicron, whether or not it's, more severe or more deadly or less doesn't matter when there are still for some reason millions of people unvaccinated and even worse still millions of older people that could be devastated by this this viral disease if they were to to contract it it'd be pretty shitty yeah you said it perfectly um man with e3 2022 what do you think they could do? Because I I will say, you're right. Last year, I can recall myself, multiple functions not working, uh, certain things you're clicking on in a website not working, uh, reaching out to certain people, never getting a response back, but actually reaching out to an Instagram or Twitter and getting an instant response. Um, I, I can just give you <laughs> on and on and on the problem. That's you log in, you can see everybody's name. You can see who everyone is. You yeah. know, you could probably just stalk someone if you wanted to. So they did have a lot of issues at first. What do you think would be the number one thing E3 could do this year to at least make it a little better for us? Anything. Uh, well, I mean, I think it could be two things. One, they could definitely beef up security, and that's obviously with their online infrastructure to protect uh, the information of press that are there or vendors that are there or anyone attending digitally that will be there. Um, so definitely protection of the encrypted keys that they're supposed to be encrypting. But then also I think... Just give us games. Like, just shut up and just give us games. I don't want, you know, 10 minutes of, like, Greg Miller talking about how this game is so hype. No, I just want to see the game. And I feel like that's the problem. They bring on these hosts that are supposed to be funny and hilarious and nothing against Greg Miller. He's great. Um, but... It's, I don't think it's the hosts that are drawing people to E3. I don't think it's the personalities that are drawing people to E3. It's the damn games. It is. It's the games. Uh, me, myself, I came for the games. It was not much. I'm exactly. Uh, Xbox stole the show, of yep. course. Xbox um, had a great show. They had a they great show, do. and I expect the same this year with the new acquisition. I expect to see Game Pass take over the entire world the way it's looking <laughs> like. So a, a couple things I want to ask. You mentioned about the host. I'm not sure if you recall the G4 TV incident with Frost yeah. blowing mm -hmm. up. Now, I want to ask you because I was doing a podcast, brought this to everyone's attention. We're talking about it, and it seems like, a lot of people that are male, men, okay, okay <laughs> they feel like Frost was off on the take. But I feel as though Frost won to say it in front of a male-dominated cast, okay? Oh, yeah. Takes the biggest balls ever. It's a lot of men who get in situations around other men who would not speak up, and she did. So that's the first thing. Okay, I'll give her kudos to that. The second thing was the, the sexualization of the women host, because Olivia, I believe it's Olivia Munn. Munn? Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, Olivia Munn, which has been on Playboy, has been, you know, a lot of people have seen as some of, let's say, visual eye candy for the mm -hmm. channel. And Frost who is damn good at what she does, okay? People are looking at Frost and giving the same toxic comments of, oh, you're not hot, or you're this. How do you feel that take was for Frost to say that? And two, do you think the job is in jeopardy with the outburst? 
No way. Um, and you know, honestly, if if G four fired Frost because she stood up against toxic masculinity and misogynistic uh, behavior, then I would find G four questionable. You know, whether that's the upper management, other staff, producers, um, whoever's running the big picture. Maybe it's the uh, like the the publishing company above G four, so not just upper management, but like upper upper management. I would be very questionable for that because it is a one hundred percent correct take. Um, I and I say that as being a man who when you're in your teens like that, it's very easy to fall into such chauvinistic behavior because, you know, you're one, you want to be one of the guys. You want the guys to like you. So you objectify women because you think that they'll like you for that. Um, but all it really does is reduce women to mere beings of consumption. Not to be, uh, I guess, stereotypical with my language, but yeah, like reducing them to meat because that's essentially all those comments do. So no, her take was 100% right. It's exactly how I know coworkers of mine have felt. It's exactly how I know friends of mine have felt. Um, it's it's disgusting, right? It's, it's disgusting for there to be so vitriol simply for the fact of being of the opposite gender like like women don't play games like there aren't girl toys or something like that doesn't make sense that it's so gatekeepy and so male when women they're no they're really no different from us other than like biology Logic, right yeah. they're really no different they're still people they're still humans and they still have interest and some of their interests are guns and cars and games <laughs> and skating and and i don't know you know dresses and makeup and flowers like they're multifaceted people so it just all and and i think that's what i find this idea of harassment online just so ridiculous like you got to be deranged to be so online to where you attack random strangers simply because they're either playing a game you don't like or they're saying something you don't agree with. Go outside. <laughs> and, and I think we lost that day and age. I think we a lot of people do not. And we talked earlier about XQC playing the GTA role play. People feel and this is just me. When that donate button first popped up, whether it's Twitch, YouTube, or whatever, the moment someone donates, they feel mm -hmm. entitled yep. to what you do on your stream. Do you see that as being the case most of the time? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I can partially understand it, right? Because I'm giving you money to produce content. So I would hope that you continue to produce content that I enjoy. But that's... I think the problem there is you're giving that person money to produce the content that you like, but you're also funding their creativity. That's where I think we miss the disconnect that, yeah, that person's making something you enjoy, but really they're just being creative. They just want to make things, whether that's art or glass or wood or, or you know, books or movies muses they're 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 creatively expressing themselves and you just happen to enjoy it so you want to kick them some some dollars if we remember that that's that that we're funding their creativity not their delivery right we're not funding their delivery we're funding their creativity so that that way they can continue to enjoy themselves and make the things that they want to make. And, you know, maybe they stop playing my favorite game for a minute because nothing's happening in my favorite game and they move on. That's cool. If I still like their personality, then why wouldn't I continue to support them in their creative effort, even if it's not something 
I personally enjoy. That said, if I am not getting any value out of it, whether or not I like their personality, why wouldn't I just not donate? Get my money back, find a different streamer or a different creative, and put my money towards them. It's so easy to do. Yeah, it seems like easy doesn't work for most people. Like the off switch doesn't work. Get up and walk away doesn't yeah. work. Changing the channel doesn't, doesn't work. work. It's turning it off. Like just, just, just. <laughs> so, uh, one that I know you've probably heard so much about Kotaku has covered for many, many months since the beginning of it. Activision Blizzard. Acti Blizz. So. Yep. This has went past way beyond what anyone thought. We now see that from the top almost all the way down, there was something going mm -hmm. on at some point to the point where workers walking out, Raven Software finally getting a union. Hallelujah. Okay. Yes. But now having Activision Blizzard state that they're going to have all of Raven Software vote on this, whether they can become, I guess, part of the union on Activision side. I'm not sure how that works. It's something else going on. But nonetheless, they want to actually say, hey, we want to have 300 employees vote versus the 34 QA testers. Mm -hmm. So Activision has had this business of not giving the employee empowerment that it should. It seems to be, you know, proven through multiple different things that have come out in court. And even today, when people are trying to form unions, you still see there's some sort of uh, something that's stopping it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Activision Blizzard is, you know, being saved by being purchased by Microsoft? Or do you think Microsoft may have to still do some cleanup? Besides Bobby, I think Bobby needs to go out first. But besides Bobby, what else do you think? Uh, I definitely think Activision's being saved. I and I I hate to say that because you know I'm not one to be like, oh yeah, executives are your friends and like they they care about you and you know they 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 just want the best of of from their games and their players. Like no. Phil Spencer is still an executive. He still makes millions of dollars. He is still part of the capitalist machine and operates in it as such. So even though he might be the most um, personable executive on their board, one of the most personable, doesn't excuse that he operates in a capitalist structure and is part of the top. Um, that said, this is definitely just a buyout for Activision. Because they knew the hot water that they've been boiling in for months. And they've been getting cooked in it. Uh, and even still, they're charred. I think Microsoft is going to need to go in and really get in, get on, on, on that meat and really scrape <laughs> off some of the burnt bits. Because uh, Activision is pretty fried. They maybe just toss that meat out and, and do a whole new one. Because, um, yeah... Activision is pretty rotten, it seems, from and it's not just Activision, it's Blizzard too, right? Yeah. It's like the entirety of the studio. The whole house is just rotten from the core. I'm gonna need you know, we're gonna need to to encase that in a in in, in saran wrap, right? And and drop a insect bomb and blow that whole shit up and just clean it all the way out. It's bad. It's real bad. It's I bad. remember, yeah. <laughs> it, like, we watched a video, and I think Kotaku covered that too, a video of a WoW conference back in, like, I think it was 2011 or something, where a woman asked about one of the clothing that the women typically wear, and she's like, you know, do they have to look like they stepped out of Victoria's Secret catalog? And you just watch the whole line of guys make jokes. Oh, yeah, Victoria. just. Oh, <laughs> and it was in front of a whole crowd. Nothing. And there Nobody were even booze to her. Yes, she was even being booed. And then later what? on, you find out the Cosby Suite, and mm -hmm. then all these other things. So I'm like, wow. So Microsoft did buy them out, which I agree. I I think it does kind of save them at this point. For the Activision Blizzard, the lineup of games that are coming out. 
Do you see now that Microsoft bought him and saved him? Do you see the Activision Blizzard name just flourishing now? I think it's possible, especially with um, – I can't remember. I think it might have been Phil Spencer who said it, but someone – I don't want to say his name, but maybe it was Bobby Kotick too. But someone had said they wanted to revive some of Activision Blizzard's old properties like Spyro. Um so I think it's possible to see this revitalization of the 3D mascot platformer. Maybe I doubt it, but you know, with um, what the hell was the name of that game that was made by the former Rare Studio? Oh, Ukulele with Ukulele yeah. with um, Balan Wonderland sucked, but with Balan Wonderland with. Yeah the continuation of the Mario franchise with Rare Replay and Banjo-Kazooie just now hitting the Nintendo Switch Online. Maybe we'll see Jack and Daxter. Maybe we'll see Sly Cooper. Maybe we'll see um, Conker. Maybe we'll see, you know, Spyro again. Maybe that'll bring Activision to want to really explore its deep pockets of IPs and bring, bring something new out rather than you know have all hands on deck on Call of Duty. So I think there's the possibility. They own a lot of they own a lot of shit. They do. And <laughs> funny you said all hands on deck for Call of Duty, which by the way you remember still a Call of Duty fanboy yep. and <laughs> I am one that when this whole mess was going on torn because I have a game I love and you're literally supporting a shitty company. So it was difficult. I did purchase the game. I had to defend myself week after week after week. But I think Battlefield being such a shitty game oh, has boy. saved me from a lot of it. What have you heard from this community of Battlefield players that are tearing dice a new one for what they release? Mm. Well, you know, I'll say just real quick to your point of being torn, I always justify it with the fact that I'm supporting the workers, you know, as much as I don't want to, like, I know that my money is going into a machine that will crunch it to the smallest dollar possible and then sprinkle that small dollar to the lower to the lower end while keeping as big a portion as possible for themselves. I know that, but I know that I want to support the worker. So if there's ever any doubt, you know, remember that buying something is a direct support of the workers that put their time into, you know, slaving on that project as well. So, you know, there's always that. Now, as far as Battlefield, same thing, you know, always support the worker. And I feel like... It was an EA problem that made Battlefield what battle what twenty Battlefield twenty forty two EA made that game what it is. And from what I've been seeing, both with the few blogs that I've written, um, what I've read, and what I've seen on streams, on videos, and on the subreddit, that game is dying. That and it's odd to say dying game when. That game just came out, and its servers are still online. It's not like Halo 3 on Xbox 360 or something where you literally can't play that game unless you have a 360 and play it by yourself. Um, that game is dying. Like, not a whole lot of people are playing it. It's incredibly buggy. People are seemingly leaving in droves. And from what I've read, it sounds as if... Andrew Wilson and other EA executives want to turn that game into a free-to-play title in some capacity, whether that's the, what is it, I think it's Hazard, I think it's called one of the modes, um, or Portal. Those are like the two new modes that they added. Uh, that game might undergo a pretty big structural change here in maybe the next month or two, from what I've read at least. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what's happening there. It's just not it just not a good game. <laughs> yeah, it just wasn't wasn't ready, wasn't a good game. <laughs> and I know EA has ruined 
a lot of franchises. It also has brought some up. I can't just hate on every game. They do have franchises they have brought up. But with the recent acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft, many have been saying EA is up for Sony's taking. Do you That's think true. Sony right now has to get some acquisition to get more stake in the game for subscription uh, for their PlayStation Now or PlayStation Plus service? Or do you think Sony's not looking for that PlayStation subscription model? They're more looking for great experiences for the consumer. I think it's the latter, yeah. I I don't envision Sony coming in to scoop up like EA. Maybe I can see Square because, you know, Square games have been essentially PlayStation exclusive since the get-go. Um, and then you have Final Fantasy VII Remake and Remake 2. Uh, I think Remake is a timed exclusive, a, a timed PlayStation exclusive for 24 months from when it came out. So it should, I know it just hit PC, but it might hit Xbox at some point. So it's possible that FF7 R2 could do the same. But I think Sony, if Sony were to try to do anything to compete with Microsoft, what it really needs is stronger games, like stronger first-party games, and an actual subscription service. Not PlayStation Now. That shit is garbage. (laughs) We need like an Xbox Game Pass type of subscription in which you get access to discounts on the PlayStation Store while checking out its incredibly long and eclectic back catalog of games. Like, being able to jump into Parappa the Rapper would be pretty cool. Would I play it all the time? Probably not. But if I had kids, I'd want to show them, like, look at what we grew up with. Like, look at this representation for black culture, even though he wasn't black, but we knew that that was a black game. Like that was for sure a black (laughs) game. There's no question about it. So I think that's what it really is. We Sony needs to give its fans access to its games. I don't know why they're holding out on PS3, PS2, PS1, locking them behind PlayStation now when it's not even that good of an emulation service compared to even NSO. And NSO isn't even that great of an emulation service compared to Microsoft's backwards compatibility program. Yeah, Microsoft seems to be running the race far ahead. But you're right, NSO, not too far. I did hear about, uh, I believe it's the Zelda game, it's the Ocarina of Time, Yeah, um, that actually got a recent update. So I, I love hearing that, that they're still updating. So it lets me know they're not just leaving people to say, hey, this is the emulation you got. This is what you're stuck with. They yeah. are continuing to work with emulation. So I'm glad to see that. But PlayStation Now, I will agree with you. Um, it does need some type of tune-up, some change. I don't see many people bragging about the PlayStation Now subscription service. It's very um, lackluster. Yeah, I, That's what I'm hearing. It is very lackluster. But I agree with you with first-party titles. I still hear... People talking about God of War, like, I mean, every time you mention Sony, and I'm not going to lie, I'm one of those people that I see God of War, the PC port, a lot of people have been playing recently talking about how gorgeous it is. To me, one of the best looking games of all times. I love God of War, the artwork, everything they did to go into it. But I myself haven't played a lot of PlayStation titles. So I miss the Uncharted Drake's Adventures. I miss The Last of Us. I miss all these different classic games that were on PlayStation. Let me say this to you. If I'm an Xbox guy, are the games good enough to make me go buy a Sony PS5? I'd say... Uh, the only game to play on PlayStation 5 is Deathloop. And I say that because it has two black protagonists, baby. We are mm-hmm. out there. Um, gotta, yep, gotta love it. Love gotta to see love it. it. But, uh, you know, I just got my PS5 and I just got my Xbox Series S not too long ago. And 
aside from Deathloop and Returnal, yeah, that's I, I mean, I played God of War on PS4. I played Ghost of Tsushima on PS4. Uh, same with, that's a fantastic game. I I enjoyed my time with it. Um, haven't played the new Iki Island expansion, but I heard that that's also a pretty good rounding way to finish that game. So, yes. yeah, check that out. But it's on PlayStation 4. Um, same with Mo- Marvel's Miles Morales or Marvel's Spider-Man and Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales. Played both of those on PS4. So that's really the big issue is I don't see a whole lot of incentive to go out and buy a PS5. Uh because a lot of those games you could just play on PS4. Horizon Zero Dawn coming to PS4. Or, sorry, Horizon Forbidden West, I mean, coming to PS4. Yeah. Um, uh, Sony Santa Monica hasn't said yet, I don't think, but I'm pretty sure the new God of War Ragnarok coming to PS4. Uh, the next PS5 exclusive, Sifu, from developer Slowclap. Uh, they did Absolver that came out in like 2017 or 2018. Uh, pvp martial arts online uh multiplayer is pretty cool this next one looks really good uh also coming to ps4 so it's like you as a as an xbox person do you need to go to playstation 5 no just get a ps4 and you'll probably be fine you know playing most of the new games that are coming out and i think that's the real issue because even though microsoft doesn't have i mean it it has halo infinite it has Forza. Um, I'm trying to think of other big Xbox exclusives. Yeah, you're right. I, are big. I know, I know that there's some. Just came on there. Yeah, Rainbow Six Extraction. Extraction. That's on Game Pass. Uh, that's yeah. See, and that's really it. Like, even if you can't think of exclusives to that console to Xbox, you'll think of Game Pass. I'll, you'll think of Game Pass, and you'll think of a lot of games that are on Game Pass. If not going to game pass at some point like activision blizzard games you know now that microsoft bought them out uh or going to game pass day one like uh extraction did same day that it launched to hit game pass that's the better deal that, that's the better deal you just spend what 300 dollars on an xbox series s 15 dollars a month and boom now you're playing halo infinite you're playing halo infinite single player and multiplayer and what do you get with a PlayStation 5? You spend, what, $400 to play Spider-Man? <laughs> like, what am I playing? Nah, you summed that up well, because that's the truth. You know, when I first got my Series X, I wasn't worried. I was thinking, like, oh, I don't really have any, you know, Series X-enabled games to really yeah. test my system out. You know, but I did have such a wide selection. It really didn't mattered to me at that point and cyberpunk was glitching out anyway at that time and you know we we still get free upgrades later on for a lot of the games exactly yeah so it didn't matter i had a selection of games but you're right you jump on playstation now the backwards compatibility you don't have so you can't play like you said parappa the rapper i remember battle arena toshinden uh splinter cell and bushido just, blade like Gosh, all these classic Sony titles that we were raised on that they are holding captive. So, no, I think you nailed that perfectly, sir. Now, it's such a shame, too. Like, I I really think the PlayStation 5 is a, aside from being this really odd looking spaceship skyscraper, Mass Effect looking building, like, it's the biggest console I've ever seen ever it's like an alienware pc it's so it's ugly huge. um i think it's a really solid system like i like the controller i like what they're doing with the haptic feedback i think that there's some pretty smart tech in there that gets you pretty immersed into these ps5 enabled games but when you really think about the choice between xbox and playstation uh, particularly series x or s and ps5 and not even factoring in the cost of either console but just the general experience on the platform yeah like i i think i prefer my playstation over my xbox in terms of general user experience and um 
kinetic feel of the controller to the experience of the game, the the latency. I like the way the games play on PlayStation. I definitely think Xbox is just a better ecosystem. Yeah. And it's, I think, because of Game Pass. No, I'm with you on that. Now, Jeremy, I hit the one-hour mark. I told myself, <laughs> you hit, like, 30 last time. I said, this time, I'm going to do an hour. And then we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll extend it. If we got to yeah. keep going next exactly. time. You know. but I, I got the wife and the kids. I'm sure in the room over. You know how that goes. So, Jeremy, I want to first thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, I want to tell you congratulations on what you're doing at Kotaku. Uh, your brother here is always watching, man. Every article you post, and I see you on Twitter. I am constantly supporting you, man, and I wish and hope the best for you, man. Ah, oh, thanks so much, man. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, and of course, you know, humble, humble plug. Go read Kotaku.com. <laughs> I like that. Yes, Jeremy's with Winslow, Kotaku.com. I'm gonna wind up posting this, and I wind up putting all your links and everything in there, man. So we'll get. Of to course. But my man, Jeremy, as always, brother, love talking with you. We signing out, man. Yeah. Talk to you. Pleasure later, talking to dude. you soon. Yeah, we are gonna talk again, man. You enjoy. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks, man.